forever. Dog. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Welcome, you all. Hi there. Hello. <laughs> what we're going to do to start this is go around and please introduce yourselves on the microphones. Tell the listener where they may have seen your name on their television screen in the past. Uh, and, Nicole, let's start with you. Okay, great. Uh, I'm Nicole Levy. Um, you might have seen my name on uh, a lot of NBC shows because, as my manager likes to joke, they should have renamed it the Nicole Broadcasting <laughs> Channel. Um, I was on Ironside, Allegiance, Mysteries of Laura, and Shades of Blue, uh, straight in a row, and then oh moved on. Gosh. I know, right? <laughs> There's a reason all those procedural things fit my my okay. uh, writing palette. And then uh, moved on to Cloak and Dagger over at Marvel. Cool. Mark. Oh, hi. Mark Bernardin. Uh, I was on Alphas and Castle Rock and currently on a show called Treadstone. And I also do a podcast with Kevin Smith called Fat Man Beyond, <laughs> uh, although he's not fat anymore, so it doesn't make that much sense. <laughs> uh, Beyond. I, I, I guess I'm holding down the fat man. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Somebody's got to do it. Uh, and, and comics, which we will talk about a little and bit. And comics and journalism. And journalism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So good. Stuff. We'll, we'll get into it. I'm Morgan Faust. I'm currently a writer on Legends of Tomorrow on the CW. And before that, I suppose if you watch indie film and you stick around for the credits, um, I've edited <laughs> uh, a bunch of films, uh, Three Backyards, Tramps, Gimme the Loot, and produced some uh, mutual appreciation and funny haha for people who are watching in the Wait, early 2000s. You did? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have known Andrew Bajelski since middle school. No way. We've known each other since we were 12 years old. <laughs> I saw that you were a Boston Red Sox fan, so I wondered if you were maybe from yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And this is all he has wanted to do is make these movies from the time we were kids. And he started wow. at like 21 yeah. and just never stopped. That's hilarious. <laughs> did you go to school with him? No. We How met, did you wind up on Funny Haha? I was um Take a break, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I was um basically Errol Morris's personal assistant and my like one of my other oh coworkers my was Andrew's best friend from college and we were all out drinking one night and so and Justin who co-worked yeah. with me was like, I'm gonna make a movie and Andrew's like, Me too. And I was like, Okay, I'll help produce it. And then <laughs> That turned out to be true. I didn't know what that meant because sure. I was 21. And that turned into I got like 13 free pounds of candy from the Neko Wafers Company. Oh, nice. Um, I think like, you know, I cooked some like pad thai for the crew. I mean, you know, producing an indie That's film can so funny. be pretty much anything you want it to be. But uh, yeah, and then I did his second film as well. That's wild. Yeah. And did you see Support the Girls? It's pretty uh, great. I haven't it's pretty yet. great. Don't Check it out. Uh, <laughs> he won't leave. <laughs> this this stays between us. Uh, it's pretty great. Check I'm it out. I'm sure it is. Everything he does is great. It's true. Oh, bastard. Um, all right. I know we all have that friend. Right? It's like always. Like, <laughs> oh, fine. Listen, this is something we don't often talk about on this podcast, but maybe we'll talk about it now is competitiveness within this industry and seeing your friends get the jobs that you want or get any job that you want. Um, how do you, you all seem like very well-adjusted people. Um, and, and I've known Mark for some years. <laughs> so you know that that's well a lie, but that's no. fine. <laughs> you are a well-adjusted guy. Um, how do you deal with that kind of thing? Um, well, I'll say, so the first year I went out for staffing, I, it was, you'll hear this a lot when you are trying to get your first few jobs, especially it's between you and one other person. Mm -hmm. 
And it, for three shows, the other person got the job, and two of those people were my friends. Really? <laughs> and it was like, I'm so happy for you. I'm going <laughs> to go cry in this corner now because they're your friends right. and you want to be happy for them. And so I was, but also like you're heartbroken because you really wanted that job. You yeah. want to get your first credit. And so I try to adopt a thing of like, I give myself permission to be shattered. Like I get 24 hours to be really sad mm -hmm. if someone else got something I wanted. Mm -hmm. But also like, then I just got to move on because mm -hmm. I very much feel like I've ended up in all the places I'm supposed to. So it's like, okay, fine, I can mourn that opportunity, but I'm going to end up where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. So that's sort of the mentality. That's I think. a good attitude. Yeah. I just blame my reps. <laughs> like I think also, it's their fault, you know, it because it, it it's really happened to me where it's been me and somebody else that I know, yeah. but it's been, hey, a buddy of mine got a job that I didn't even know existed, yeah. Yeah. but suddenly I would have been awesome for, and so I can't be mad. It's like, hey, Josh, yeah, you're awesome. <laughs> I love you, buddy. Hey, agent, why wasn't I in that room? Why right. didn't you bring me up in that conversation? And so I can at least funnel my hatred towards somebody <laughs> that isn't necessarily a friend. Right. He's like, oh, no, that person gets 10% to get hated yeah. on. Yeah, but let me ask you, because we, my writing partner and I have had similar experience where, like, you hear about this thing that's out there and because someone else got it. When you have the conversation with your agent, why aren't I in that room? Mm -hmm. Why am, am I being considered for this and why not? Do you... Do you make any progress with that conversation? Like, are you in the room for the next thing? Uh, it depends on the reason why, mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes, and you know, if you have candid agents that will say your sample wasn't right for that. Yeah. Or it, you're, which you're, is a good answer, which is a good, it's a perfect shield of an answer for a rep, which <laughs> yes. was, yeah, we're not, or the, the super honest answer is you're not there yet. Mm -hmm. You know, that like you might need one more spec in you to get up to that level, especially when you're breaking in, especially when yeah. you have no credits behind you. It's just maybe I'm, maybe I need that one more, you know, race around the track to get my speed up, to get my strength up, to get my endurance right. And like that's, that's the hard yeah. decision mm -hmm. where you have to start looking inwards and say, all right, what am I not doing yeah. to get myself in, in, in prime position for that kind of game? And that is a difficult thing to do, right? Yeah. Is to say, what are my shortcomings as yeah. a writer, mm -hmm. a producer, whatever it Absolutely. is, and how do I start to tackle those things? How do I level up? Yeah. And yeah. also just accepting where you are. Like I, you know, a couple of times if the response for, has been, well, they just want someone with more experience, mm -hmm. which is a super frustrating thing because if you know my skill set, like if you sat down and talked to me, you would know know I could do the thing you're looking for mm -hmm. someone yeah. to do, but you're just going to judge me based on where my credit level is. And yeah. it's really frustrating, but it's also reality. You have to just like, you can't force that. Right. There are some people who don't care and there are some people married to the credit level. Yeah, mm. that's true. That's true. Because the opportunities for the people who are not married to the credit level are out there. Yeah. Like you could be part of that conversation. Absolutely. But so much of it is just dumb luck, right? It's knowing someone or stumbling into the right room at the right time. Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes people don't seem to want bargains. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you come in wanting a producer. I'm yes. coming in as like an ESE. Like, dude, I will work harder for you than that guy will. You'll pay me less and yeah. you'll get more. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. And I'll say, actually, I so I was in a position where I was not – pleased about it, but mm -hmm. was a third year staff writer because, of course, Oof. coming in in the diversity programs, that'll happen to you. And 
And the number two on my show said, like, she knew the day I walked in. She's like, I don't care what your title is. You're a producer. That's how I'm going to hmm. treat you. And so, like, you get people like that who don't care. They yeah. recognize mm -hmm. your talent. And they'll they'll take full advantage of it because they can give you more work to do. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. But, but it's yeah. also the best learning experience yes. you can have, especially at a low level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I imagine it is like – producing indie film it's like you have to learn all the things right well it's so interesting because i'm the baby writer in this room here because i'm that my first job basically i'm a story editor so second year at legends of tomorrow um and it seems like all the things that you learn about being a writer <laughs> are not the things that give you the experience the producing the sitting on the casting sessions yeah, all of mm -hmm. that stuff which is kind of i guess as you go up the jobs that you're handed more of our room, in the best way, I don't think if you were a fly on the wall, you would automatically know who was what mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think there are obviously people who have more responsibility, but like when it's the conversation about breaking a story until it maybe it comes to a tricky spot, <laughs> it's not so clear who's in charge <laughs> in the best way because it means yeah. everyone's voice is mm -hmm. heard and everyone's feeling comfortable. But I do think that I was fearful at first that all my indie film experience would just be some weird kind of like baggage <laughs> that I wasn't quite sure how to explain why I was going to be useful in the room. And now I'm like, oh, right. Okay. Because as soon as you get on set, you're like, oh, this is same rodeo, much bigger. The yeah. hair department mm. is essentially the entire crew <laughs> I've ever worked with before. But you, you see why, you know, having that knowledge is now useful. But it wasn't automatically obvious to me when I started going through the CBS program that producing was going to be that helpful because right. it's so much about story and room and room politics and oh, how do sure. I the programs yeah. focus yes. on that right. the writing yes. aspect Sorry. Yes. the craft yeah. aspect that's Absolutely. really interesting so you both came up through the programs is yes. that right yeah I did uh, CBS uh, Writers on the Verge right after that and then was a finalist in Disney and didn't make the last cut so I've like oh. sort of done the whole <laughs> wow, it's audition rare. gauntlet <laughs> yeah it's rare to hear people have gone through a few of them that's I actually crazy. have I have friends I'm not kidding you who've done like four yeah. wow I yeah. mean it's crazy do but they get it's badges like, until <laughs> I know, right? We should have a club, but it's like, like the, the Saturday Night Live hosting club. We should have like the writer <laughs> program. Um, That's interesting. I mean, yeah. was it each time? Was it seen as like here's here's my foot in, here's my other foot in, here's my third foot in? Yeah, I mean, I will be on. So I I was so green when I got in the CBS program. Like I had written a ton, but in terms mm -hmm. of knowing how the business worked, still pretty green. And so it was a it was life changing for me because Carol Kirshner, who mm -hmm. runs that program, is all about here's how this works. Here's how you go on a meeting. Here's how you talk to executives. And so, I mean, I would have handled it like a job interview and it would have been terrible. So that I like someone taught me how to go on a meeting. Um, and I, and so that it's so immersive about how the business works. And then like writers on the verge, which Carol was like, look, apply to the rest of the programs. Cause you don't know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't get staffed. And so I didn't even get repped straight out of CBS. My man, so I had met my manager who um, was like, I'm, I, I got you, but couldn't officially represent me yet. Sure. And um, so then I went into writers on the verge, which is much more like um, material driven and about like teaching you how to write on a really tight schedule. And so it gives you a different aspect of like, yeah, yeah. you might have only this amount of time mm -hmm. to develop a pitch and come in. And I was working full time through both programs. So it oh, was wow. very like I had less time than everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's sort of you get something out of all of them. They're all so different. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I feel like I got skills from both that have served me very well. And then in a practical sense, were 
was either one valuable for getting you work afterwards? Both of them have been. I mean, the thing, and and again, I can only speak to the programs I've been involved in, but like they are on your team for the rest of your career. As long as you are like maintain your relationship with them. Oh, wow. That's great. Every year, like Jeannie Mao and um, Karen Horn's office will reach out and be like, are you available? Do you want us to submit you for anything? And like, they just they keep up with all their writers that's as awesome. long as you stay engaged in mm-hmm. in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really and great. so it's really great. And and I, I tell this story. So my first job was on Ironside, mm-hmm. which Ken Sanzel run, and um, ran. And I did so many general meetings and had met so many people through NBC when I was going through Writers on the Verge. My first year out when I didn't staff, that the next year when I did, literally the only meeting I had for that show was with Ken. Because huh. everyone else had right. already met me, You're and I'm like, yep, through. yep, she's fine. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and I, I will say, like, this is not an unusual thing. Whether you're coming out of a program or not, is like when you are staffing, you go through the gauntlet, right? You meet all the executives, you meet yep. sort of upper level people um, at the studio, at the network, whatever. And then sometimes you don't get the job, but there's value in it for years after yeah. until those mm-hmm. executives are fired. <laughs> Absolutely. And or they and they move to other places, which yes, is the other thing. Too. Like my mentor at CBS is at Netflix now. So you know it's like sure. you know, people are are still in the business. They just move other places and and it's why I always I mentor a lot and I try to stress for the baby writers like general meetings are your friends mm-hmm. because you're it's the start of a relationship you're building totally. for your career. Yeah. And I've had people two years after I had a general with them be like, oh, my God, is Nicole available? She's perfect for this show. Mm. So That's it's, great. it's That's an really important great. step. Totally. Um, before we get too far away from it, um, where do you find your mentees? Um, I, I often get um, asked, you know, to talk to some folks through the writing programs, which okay. I try to be good about going back every year. I also taught last year um, at Stevens College mm-hmm. in their MFA program and at USC. Okay, oh, nice. And Great. so, you know, picked up some some folks there. And honestly, just people who find a way to build a relationship with me and like you Nodra know, and Grisanti, who is the writing mm-hmm. coach at Writers on the Verge and stuff, and we have things in common and – you know, That's they'll great. reach out and ask for advice, and I try to do it when I can. That's great. So don't inundate Nicole. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> be cool. <laughs> like, I feel like that's sort of the valuable lesson for all of Hollywood, yeah, right? Be cool. Be cool. Yes. Um, we started talking uh, before we were rolling. Uh, I mentioned that, you know, uh, Mark, I know you and I have in common a lot of writing outside of TV when we weren't being paid to write for TV. Mm. And that's the thing I want to talk about. Sort of all of us, I think, have that. Um, And Morgan, actually, tell me first, as you were getting into the business when you were working in indie film, did you Mm -hmm. know you wanted to write? Not really. I mean, and I think, you know, I've listened to a lot of your guests talk about it and just going through um, CBS and meeting people who just sort of seem to know at an early age television was where they wanted to be. And I feel like I was one of those people that thought about like directing, but didn't understand that there was a writer behind every episode of television that I loved until I... um, Finally, you know, I think it was at grad school, I took a class and was just introduced to the forum and thought, this is me, like this kind of hmm. collaboration, getting to talk to people, working together as a team to create something and then um, seeing it, you know, through to fruition, which in indie film often doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> you write many things that never turn into anything. Um, so I didn't know that. I just knew I wanted to be 
in film and television. I almost didn't. I went for an interview for an investment banking job. You know, no, it was kidding. like the late 90s. When I, you know, <laughs> and so I went. Cocaine and, running through the streets. <laughs> and so, thank God, the, the person who was interviewing me, he got a phone call from Lauren Bouchard, who now runs Bob's Burgers, but yeah. used to run Dr. Katz, uh, which was run out of like a basement in Watertown, Massachusetts. Yeah. And so he got a phone call in the middle of my interview, took it, and I said, oh, can't believe you know Lauren Bouchard. And he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing here, Morgan? You, That was the most excited you've been in this whole interview. And so he called Lauren back and uh, got me an interview for an internship there. Oh, that's wild. And I just never wow. looked back. I think I'd always written and done theater, and but I just didn't understand that that could be a sure. job until yeah. finally I was sort of there looking at it. Oh, that's really yeah. funny. And then I sort of took my steps from like assisting to producing people's stuff to editing stuff to finally, mm -hmm. I had a great teacher in grad school who said, look, if you don't stop helping other people make their dreams come true, you're never going to get your own stuff out there. And so I said, <laughs> oh, all right, okay. No, that's a good use, like a good word too sometimes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think there is something to that is like, I think a lot of us get into this business because we want to make stuff. Yeah. Right? And part of this business is collaborative. Yes. A huge part of it. Yeah. And very often, for good and bad, you are not being – you're not having a spotlight on you, on the work that you're doing. Right. Yep. Right? So you might be part of something really special, really cool, yeah. that gets a lot of attention, but nobody's going to understand what you're bringing to the table. So how did you start – what were you writing yourself? What were you putting out there and how were you getting it out there? Um, short films, mostly. Okay. I was writing short films that were still, I mean, I now, for those who don't know Legends of Tomorrow, it's a time travel superhero show. <laughs> um, but even when I was just writing my own stuff, it was also about like a little girl who finds a store where they buy and sell time. And, <laughs> you know, those things as an independent, Andrew knew what he was doing. An independent <laughs> film about like a boy and a girl in an apartment. That's, <laughs> that's some affordable filmmaking yeah. right there. <laughs> and so I was always doing these things that just required a lot of production design. My brother was a production designer for a long time. So um, we teamed up a lot. Um, so I was writing and directing short films that often had a fantasy hmm. or sci-fi-ish, lo-fi I often called it. Like I love real world stuff mm -hmm. where fantasy or sci-fi finds um, a, a home in there and can serve to kind of heighten things that we all go through. That's cool. Um, so short films and those kind of um, can take you Great places, but often what they do is they take you to a bunch of film festivals yeah. <laughs> that are, you know, screening at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday right. uh, in, <laughs> in Sarasota, and which is great. And the people of Sarasota are wonderful. Um, are you the only person who's ever said that? <laughs> Mark this down. <laughs> people of northern Florida are fantastic. <laughs> but as with most people, I think, who come out of indie film or just any – I won a contest with a script. That, you know, contest got me – you know, my brother and I teamed up and got – hired to write a feature for a whopping $12,000 um, that we split, of course, yep. and so for a year. Um, and, you know, that turned into getting us a manager. Um, and eventually he stayed with film and I chose to go with television. But it was very small steps. I mean, sometimes I mean, like, you know, I've been in this business now for I started in 2000. So it's easy to calculate. Uh, so 18 years. And so, you know, it did feel sometimes like, wow, there's these people who, yeah. you know, came out here and now they're <laughs> show running and I'm like editing this film no one's going to see. But 
you know, to the question you were asking before about handling when you see other people's stars really like skyrocket, one, have a good grief sponge, which is my brother. <laughs> so I can call him and say anything. And it's like, you know, absolute cone of silence that doesn't matter. Yeah. And I can get it off my chest, which is really important. Yeah. I also got yeah. off Facebook because well, <laughs> sometimes helpful. it's really hard. <laughs> um, I want to, Mark, can we get real a second? Uh, yeah, baby. <laughs> Let's talk about it. What you for, got? For just a millisecond. Um, <laughs> your first credit on yes. I, your TV credit on IMDb is for Alphas. Yes. Um, and you were, I imagine, a staff writer. Yes. On that. I, was, I was a baby writer slash diversity hire. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, but you didn't come out of a program, right? I didn't. Yeah. No. So they, they just hired you based on a sample script or something. They hired me based on a sample script and, and this weird circuitous path. When I was in college, my Junior year, the summer between my junior year and senior year of college, I entered a television screenwriting program just for college kids and uh, called the Nate Monaster Writing for Television, sponsored by Ubu Productions and Paramount. Nice. And sit, Ubu, sit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so I won this contest. And the prize was they, they, I was 19 years old, I think. I spent a summer in LA. Like they mm -hmm. paid for my room and my board nice. and my flying That's out. Great. And I interned on the writing staffs of Brooklyn Bridge, which was the Ubu mm -hmm. show at the time. For a month, and then the other month was like, whatever show else is happening on the Star Trek lot? And they're like, well, what do you like? It's like, well, the sample that I wrote to enter this thing was for Star Trek The Next Generation, because it was the only show that I really watched. Awesome. Uh, and so I knew what the characters were, and I knew what happened. So yeah. I wrote this spec. And this was, we should say, like, this is when you wrote a spec of an existing show. Right. The, um, the, which just does it, not happen anymore. Nobody does that. <laughs> So By the way, they should, but that's another conversation. <laughs> oh, I'm, well, I'm well. going to let you proselytize in a minute. <laughs> I've been doing this for a couple of years now, and this is, I've been hitting it hard. Yeah. I don't think it's going to change. <laughs> but anyway. But yeah, and so uh, since I wrote a Star Trek spec, they're like, well, Star Trek is in production down the street. Why don't you go intern on that show? Oh, man. And so I show up, and it was like July or so, and like Next Gen was kind of like barreling full steam ahead, but they were just starting Deep Space Nine. It was the They just shot the pilot. They were about to launch mm. into the show. And Ira Stephen Bear was running Deep Space Nine at the time. And he's a kid from the Bronx. I was born in the Bronx. He's like a crazy older dude with like a blue goatee and a pork pie hat. And just kind of like loved writers and loved young writers. And because yeah. Star Trek had always been about like welcoming in voices yes. in mm -hmm. a way that no other show ever did. They they were like the last bastion of freelance episodes. Yeah, they had an open submission policy. Yeah. You could be from anywhere Whoa. and yeah, write mm -hmm. a screenplay and send it in. Like Ron, the 90s. Ron Moore showed up yeah. in there out of nowhere. Jane Espenson got her start yep. there. Jose Molina. Oh my God. Um, a lot of folks. Yeah, yeah a lot of folks. That Because that's you could do that. You yeah, could write awesome. a, send yeah. it in. Somebody would it's read kind it. Kind of incredible. Kind of incredible. And so Ira was all about that. And so I was there for another, like I extended my stay for a couple of weeks. But Ira was really like just kind of welcoming and – it turns out that Ira was running Alphas. So this was now like Funny. 20 years later. Yeah. Like I do the Skype call with him. He's like, you look familiar. <laughs> like, Are you from the Bronx? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm from the Bronx. And uh, and Robert Wolf was his number two mm -hmm. on that show and who was also a Deep Space Nine veteran. Mm -hmm. And so like I think the that weird who the hell would have known that a 20-year throw would have done any – that's wow, good wild. for me. Which you never know. That's which you never yeah. know. Absolutely. Um, which is like the don't be a dick rule, right? Like right. just never be a dick because you never know. <laughs> like, when you're 19, don't be a dick. It's it can be so dumb. hard to not be a dick at 19. <laughs> and you don't know what you don't know at 19. Exactly. You think you know everything. Yeah. Um, although it was abundantly clear that I didn't know anything when you show up at Star Trek. <gasps> I bet. <gasps> wow. Wide-eyed. Right. But so that was that oh, was my way in. That's wild. You know, they had a diversity slot. You know, my reps at WME at the time was like, we got this black writer who's 
who's into sci-fi. Here's the show about superheroes. We'll see if this works. Interesting. And so now the thing I wanted to get to okay, is your next – no, no. I think that's <laughs> that's a great story and there are some terrific lessons in there too. Um, don't be a dick. But your <laughs> – don't be a dick. <laughs> your next credit is not until this year. Yes. On Castle Rock. Correct. Um, so and it's a five-year, six-year stretch? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> now and, – and I have a similar thing. Like I think my last credit was Supernatural, which was – eight, nine years ago, mm. and I've been staffed on other stuff, but they didn't get made or whatever it is, right? right? Um, I think the important thing here is that there is a kind of showrunner, as Nicole mentioned, who would look at that and say, there's not enough writing here, mm. or there's not enough right. experience here. But the fact is, in those intervening years, you were writing your ass off. Yeah. I mean, I think that that also part of my narrative, which I think is why general meetings are awesome, especially when mm. you're younger, is to get... It's it's like stand up. Like you've got to yeah, do right. it. You get your set right. You get your hot ten. Like a, a general <laughs> meeting is your hot forty five. Like mm-hmm. here's here's my narrative. Here's where I came from. Here's the career I've yeah. had before. Now here's how that career was applicable to what you want to hire me for. Right. Oh, interesting. Here's so what- let let me dig into that for mm. a sec. So in that interim, you were a full time journalist. Yes. Right. You were working for Hollywood Reporter, EW, a bunch of other organizations. Mm-hmm. You were also. You started doing this podcast a few years ago. Right. Uh, you were writing comics. You were writing, I imagine, specs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you go in to have these meetings, what is the narrative that you give? Well, I mean, the narrative that I give is that, you know, first, blame. Blame is an important part of any good narrative. <laughs> um, and what happened with Alphas was Ira got fired. Like, my mm-hmm. showrunner got fired between season one and season two. And when that happens, like, nobody on the staff is safe. So with him yeah. went most of the staff and I got broomed. Yeah. So what happened? Well, I wasn't sure if they were going to bring me back for season two. And this was the beginning of the sort of 10 episode short run cable show. Uh-huh. And so they had a year and a half before they had to exercise an option. Oof. And there's nothing that deadens heat more than time. Yes. And so I couldn't really staff on anything because I could have gone back to alphas. And so it's just nothing but this sort of Man. steady downward spiral. Of like yeah. just the heat sink of, mm-hmm. of of time and distance. And so then the narrative is, well, then I went back to the the career that I had before. Like I went back to journalism and I got to help tell great stories mm-hmm. and I got to help work with writers I'd never worked with before. And I got to keep writing my own stuff. I wrote three specs in that time. I had two comic That's books right. come out. It's just, you know, part of it is the the unwilling resilience. You know, it's like I wasn't going to give up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like I still wanted to do this. I still wanted to do it really badly. And I was just kept waiting for my next shot at the brass ring. And in that time, X, Y, and Z. And so here I am and I'm ready to go. Yeah. Uh, were you, let's let's talk about craft for a second in that time. And I want to uh, start with Mark, but I want to bring this to all of you. Um, in that time, the specs you were working on, did you find that you were honing your craft, did you find you were telling stories that were different to the ones that maybe you had told 10 years before? Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. Like, I've always been a genre writer. That it'll always been the thing that I love. Like, laser beams and car chases and explosions and time travel mm-hmm. and <laughs> tiny gift shops. One day we'll solve it. One day we'll figure yeah. it. I mean, we already have. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, but, uh, but the thing that I started to realize, the older that I got, I mean, the Age does a thing for you where it helps widen your world, right? Like when you're when you're a teenager, you are your world. And then you get to be 20 and your world is like mm. you and your friends. And then when you get to be 30, <laughs> it's you, your friends, your family. And then it, it gets broader and broader and broader. And like the world and I got to this place 
where I had never wanted to be a black writer. Mm-hmm. I always just wanted to be a writer. Right. And, or a genre writer. Like, mm-hmm. if you had to put a, a, yeah. a pellet onto that, then, like, nerd writer is right. totally fine. <laughs> but as, as the world began to shift in such a way that you can't quite ignore the, the, the textures of what the world is and, and the various people that help make up what that world feels like, I stopped kind of, I'm not going to say I was running from being a black guy. Mm-hmm. But, but you was, weren't leaning into it either. But I wasn't leaning into it either. Mm-hmm. And so th- the work began to incorporate, especially as like my son went from being like four years old to like 11 to mm-hmm. like now 14 yeah. <laughs> and having to navigate his path through the world. So interesting. And, and having questions from him. Like I remember he came home one day from school and was like eight years old. I was like, dad, I'm not sure I want to be black anymore. Oh. I said, really? Okay. Let's have this conversation, yeah. which wow. I didn't know we were going to do today. But like, <laughs> right. yeah. why not? Well, because slavery. I'm like, oh, okay, fair. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. It's not going to happen anymore. Nobody's going to come and take me away. Nobody's going to come and take you away. Oh. Like, you're okay. Yeah. Your mother's Irish, so she's, she's <laughs> always golden. But uh, but that idea, that like the idea of the, the sort of psychic yoke mm-hmm. of what that kind of legacy carries forward and that will be revisited upon a kid like that had me thinking about content and genre and and just the work I was doing sure. in a way that was different than it had been before. And so once I started to incorporate that part of my own background, my the the, the social conversation into the work, it got traction in a way the other stuff didn't. Mm. You know, and I got better at it because right. iteration will do that to you. But just being a different person or yeah. acknowledging a different part of yourself helped to make that stuff kind of rise in a way that the earlier car chases and explosions just didn't quite. Sure. And I'm sure, I have no doubt that you had amazing concepts for these previous scripts, but you were, you were starting yeah. to filter it through a personal story. Totally. You know, uh, like it, it, it wasn't enough anymore to just be like the guy who does action real good. Yeah. Right. Um, it totally. had to be the guy who sees the world that we see and finds a way to incorporate that world into the action that everybody already loves. Mm-hmm. Like, can it be exciting? Totally. Can you have car chases and explosions and time travel? Absolutely. But what is it about? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I had always, like, even looking back on my old stuff, I had always had a problem with the what is it about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was so like, a kid who grew up on Knight Rider and Dukes of Hazard. like, I don't need it to be about anything. I just need <laughs> cars and arrows with yeah. dynamite in the end. Like, yeah. that's fine. Mm-hmm. We can't do that anymore. You can't do that anymore. And so yeah. once I began to realize what, for me, it was going to be about, then it helped sort of chart a path mm-hmm. that made some sense. For me, for my reps, for people I'd meet with, Absolutely. it became, you know, and then bringing the journalism background also, like it's the, here's the other thing that I'd been doing for 25 years that is actually kind of relevant and yeah. bring it forward. And then when truth is apparently on trial, yeah. being able to say, you were a journalist. All right, let's talk about the the value of truth and news and content. Yeah. and. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure it showed in the material. I'm sure people responded. Right. Like well, that all, yeah. again, just becomes part of your narrative and part yeah. of part of that hot 45 you give when you're sitting across a dude mm-hmm. on your bottled water tour of LA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask sort of a similar question to, to all of you, to both of you. Um, Nicole, you've been on staff for a while now. Yeah. Um, and it seems like Mysteries of Laura was sort of the one that stuck around, uh, the show that stuck around mm-hmm. for a while. Um, what was the material that the showrunners were reading of yours that you think they responded to? And was it a similar thing? Did it, was there a step when you went from writing a thing that a, you know, a young or new writer writes to a more personal nuanced, uh, script? I think, I mean, for me, certainly, I mean, all of the writing you do just makes you a better writer, right? And I think part of, 
part of why to proselytize a little why I tell younger writers like you have to have a spec that is current that you love mm-hmm. because that is the job you want. Yeah. You are basically getting hired to write spec episodes. <laughs> You're going to have a room full of people to help you, but you have to mimic the voice. Mm-hmm. You have to know the characters. You have to be able to write the world as it exists. You don't get to make it what you want. Right. And I think a lot of – I that is how I have seen young writers struggle is that they, they've written all these pilots, but they haven't really written specs. And then they come in and they're like, but I want to do this. And we're like, yeah, that's not the show. Yeah. That's <laughs> not the show. Mm. You got to write the show. Yeah. So what were the so, specs that you wrote? I love hearing what specs people wrote, <laughs> I wrote uh, early on. so many. Um, the first one I ever wrote, just because I loved the show, mm-hmm. was- Which is, I feel like, really... always how it starts. Yes, like, yeah. it's basically fanfic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's it. And that's what specs are. They're yeah. fanfic. They're just very professional fanfic. Absolutely. Are you kidding? Um, we wrote a- Two Buffies and a Mad About You. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the first one I wrote before I actually even got serious, I just wanted to write it, was an episode of The X-Files. Absolutely. That was um, a great show to And spec. it was all focused on Skinner because he was my favorite character. <laughs> <laughs> what? Skinner is nobody's favorite character. He is my favorite character. And um, and then, you know, I wrote, I mean, so many different things. I wrote a Grey's Anatomy so that's, let me Let me interrupt for a second. Um, I think that's a... a Funny thing, and it sort of goes against the rules of spec scripts, mm-hmm. right, is when you write a spec, you really want to write a most typical episode. Oh, absolutely. You're told not to concentrate on a tertiary character or do a holiday episode or something right. like that. Yeah. I mean, that was like, I just want to write this. Yeah. So, like, that's, like, my first experience. Gotcha. And then later, you know, I wrote – I mean, I wrote a Grey's Anatomy. I wrote a Private Practice. The one that was sort of, like, the one that changed everything was an episode of The Closer. Hmm. And and what I found interesting was, you know, every year there's the here's the shows you should spec. Yeah. And I didn't Especially like, then. Yeah. And I now didn't like a lot of those shows. Yeah. Mm. And so I wrote the show I loved, which was The Closer. And I, so many people were like, no one watches that. And I was like, I don't care. I have a great story to tell and I'm going to tell it. <laughs> awesome. And the amount of times that people said to me, I didn't watch this show, but I had to know how this story ended. That's because great. your passion for what you love is coming through, yeah. right? right? And then I have an expertise with procedurals because I actually used to work in law enforcement. Here so we that go. that came through. <laughs> in what capacity? I was a police dispatcher for four years. No kidding. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's great meeting fodder. I worked my way through, uh, through undergrad at USC. So, no yeah. way. Oh, wow. it's, uh, it's, all, it's good good meeting stories. People love to Wait, wait. Yeah. You the... were a dispatcher while you were an undergrad in college? Yes. I worked wow. graveyard shifts on dispatch, went to oh. school. All day, God. slept four hours, went back to work. That's that amazing. was my life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> things you can only do when you're in your 20s or early 20s. Oh, my God. Like, I tried to pull an all-nighter like sometime last year, and I was like, oh. well, I have to go to bed for yeah. a week. <laughs> like, it's the, you can still do those things, but you pay for it more yes. on the backside. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, that's yes. the I feel that way at Comic-Con every year. It's like, I can still do it. Because yeah, every, no. every time I go to Comic-Con, my brain <laughs> feels like it's the first year I went. Like, I was mm-hmm. 28 my first year. Yeah. We do this. Let's go. And then, like, by, like, Wednesday afternoon, <laughs> yeah. my body's like, you're 46, motherfucker. You cannot <laughs> swing like this. But I still go. Go, go, go. Yeah. And then, like, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, oh. Thursday, I'm in traction. I don't get yeah. my voice. Yeah. My, my voice is gone until oh, yeah. Friday. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. game over. This year was my first, like, full run of Comic-Con oh my gosh. because Ooh. we went for Cloak and Dagger yeah. and I was oh, like yeah. oh my god I don't ever need to do this again for this <laughs> uh, many days no that's what you say right after and then right no no yeah. Yeah. it's coming days. around totally. so then like February the emails start you're like oh hey registration <laughs> hey girl how you doing yeah I'll go back <laughs> 
<laughs> but you know, you I lose think- weight this year. <laughs> <laughs> so, so again, I just I feel like and and I I preface the the spec conversation with last year. I happened to know for a fact that there were a few showrunners. I'm not saying a lot, but a mm-hmm. few who, if you were ESC or lower, only wanted to see a spec. That's great. Huh. Because they want proof that you can do the job they're hiring you to do. Yes. There are executives I know personally who will not recommend baby writers to showrunners if they don't have a spec. So I'm saying you don't have to write a ton. Have one mm-hmm. that you love. Yeah, that's have current. an evergreen. Just have it around. Yeah. You know, if that show goes away, if you wrote in Americans, it's great. Now it's gone. Just right. find a new show and write one. It's and I not- would imagine, I mean, if I look at myself Next year as a showrunner and wanting to look at specs, like, I don't care if they have a Seinfeld spec. Yeah. Like, I just yeah. want to see that they can right. write someone yeah. else's voice. Yeah, and at I, this point, with 400 shows right. in the air, you can't be counted on to exactly. actually write a show that your showrunner has watched. Absolutely. It's like, I'm going to write a Twilight Zone. Yeah. I'm going to write a Barnaby P.I. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but then there are- Don't be Gillis. Sort of long run. Like, give me a Walking Dead. Give me a, a uh, Bob's Burgers, something yeah. like that. Like, these things, things that have sort there. of- We know they're going to be around for yeah. a while. But, but it's I also think, a great exercise, as you pointed out. Like, yeah, it's just practice. It's, it's what it's the job is. And yeah. it's like your pilots are, I'm sure, amazing and wonderful and people will read them and enjoy them. But like sometimes you need that extra, even if they only look at 10 pages. Yeah. You just want to have it. Yeah. And I um, suppose as a baby writer, it's the thing you can do quickly. Yes, yeah. Because you don't, you don't have to do the architecture. You don't have to do the structural work of like mm-hmm. building a new show. Yeah. It's Discover no. these yeah. characters. Yeah. Like what's yeah. the dynamics? What's yeah. the story engine? Look, it's right there. Yeah. Like, if you can't write a spec in like two weeks. Yeah. Here's what I'm going to- That's a great point. Yeah. I got, I got put up for a job that was this very sort of light toned procedural and I am like the dark and twisty girl. So I did not <laughs> have anything. I love those shows. I did not have anything that was a sample. I, but I loved Castle like nobody's mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. And I wrote an episode. So much so that I'm watching The Rookie. <laughs> shouldn't really be watching The Rookie. I, I, I Nicole, wrote, you're so weird. I know. I wrote an episode of Castle in three days. Amazing. Wow. Because you had internalized the workings I, of the show. I, I yeah. knew the show like the back of my hand and I had an opportunity. So my manager was like, if you can do it, I'll get him to read it. That's and hilarious. I didn't actually get a meeting on that show, but it got me a meeting somewhere else. That's wild. So you just never like, yeah. if, you know, it's a good tool to have. It like, really is. Um, so now, given though the opportunity to write something of your own, because mm-hmm. I imagine your reps wanted original pilots Absolutely. also. Yeah. Did you find having done this work of mimicking other shows, both on staff and on your own, that you were able to do something better, different, more complicated, more personal? Yeah, I think for me, like I've always been the kind of person who like, A, like even when I was, you know, locked in my room writing fanfic because that was the main writing I was doing, (laughs) you know, when I was 17. But like the it's always about like a story I just absolutely have to tell. And usually there's a visual component to me. Like I have to see the beginning before I can write it. Mm. After that, I'm pretty golden. But like, so I just need to see that opening in order to sit down at the page. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, those are sort of the, the things I rely on to know that I'm ready to write. And I think the thing that is great about the more you write, the structure becomes, you don't have to think about the structure so much. Mm-hmm. You know the structure, you know the rhythm. It's why I, again, the the people that I mentor, I tell them to write with act breaks. Even if you're going to take them out yep. later, 
because it teaches you how to ebb and flow your script and you don't have this straight line. Like nothing drives me crazy than when I'm watching some like artsy fartsy cable or streaming show and it's like one note for 40 minutes and then the big <laughs> thing happens and right. I'm like, you did not break this with act breaks. Yeah. <laughs> it drives I, me crazy. I love Game of Thrones, but Game of Thrones is super guilty of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, which is like, hey, what are we going to do? I don't know. Talk about tapestry for a while. Look, that food's yummy. <laughs> <laughs> rape murder yeah Incest. dragons yeah. and it's dragons. like once you know how to write to an act break you just know it you don't yeah. have to think about it anymore and so if you get hired on a show that has act breaks you're like great i know how to do this and if you're hired on a show that doesn't you still know how to put some yeah. big moments in right before you get to the big moment yeah there's there's so much woodwork right there's yes. so much carpentry to mm -hmm. this job you have to learn how to do that stuff before you get to start ornamenting it. Yes, absolutely. And like when I taught last year, I was really surprised because I'm used to working with people from the programs. Like right. I go in and talk at the alumni hmm. nights and then people reach out. And so um, they're a little more advanced. And like my students, when I was talking about like, t you know, teaser four versus like six act structure, and they were like, what What now? Wow. What now? And I was like, oh, y'all need to read some scripts. Yeah. You need to read some scripts and you need to understand how they're paced and like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because totally. those are different things. And so I think there's a lot of like, at a certain point, you absorb all that and you're not thinking about it. You know, you just Absolutely. know like, oh, this is a faster paced thing. Six acts probably going to be great for it. As opposed to like, I want my long, luxurious teaser. So I'm going to do teaser four. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. Um, that's very interesting. I want to pick up there in a minute. But Morgan, was there once you and your brother decided to go separate ways mm -hmm. um, and you were really concentrating on writing on your own, was there a magic script for you? Was there sort of a script that people responded to that started getting you a lot of meetings? Well, it was so, I mean, it was getting me into the CBS program, which happened mm -hmm. to be a time travel script. And then the script that I developed there, which in the CBS program, uh, another quick plug for them because Carol Kirshner is amazing. They have you do uh, basically write a script with network executives. So you get yeah. notes and all of that stuff. And so that script was just a lot more polished sure. because, you know, yeah. I came from the artsy fartsy world. We were you know, the stories were all low, like slow, lugubrious, yeah. you know. <laughs> and so, and I knew three act structure from film, but not really the like, here's, you need to, in eight pages, give me something that I want to come back and see kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. And so I'd written a bunch of uh, original pilots that I'm still proud of, but I don't think they had that kind of pop. They don't mm -hmm. have that mm -hmm. kind of woodwork that didn't, it just, I didn't know really, you know, yeah. I read them, but I didn't have it internalized in the way that I had learned with film. And so then that script that I developed through CBS, um, with the help of the program and my manager, um, I that I did. I got to do a ton of meetings, but um, and what was? Well, that was, was about that was a coming of age story about clones. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a coming of age story. Yes, I yes. Mean, I think that's really interesting. So was it? Never mind the quality of it. Was the content of it more personal? Was it? you know, something you were compelled to write in a way that was different to what had come before? I was just thinking about that as listening to your your answers about how your perspective has changed. And I think, I, in a way, everything I've ever written, I mean, part of my, my mom was a Cuban refugee. My grandmother survived Auschwitz and moved here in 19. Our house was always full of tons of people. So my family was something that I think felt very... 
um, chosen in many ways because we had like these Cuban artists who would live with us for three years and, you know, people just were always in and out. And I think all of my stories ended up being about initially young people mm -hmm. sort of choosing and finding their family. And then now that I'm a single mom, it's about maybe <laughs> parents choosing and, and finding their family. But ultimately that I, when I look back at everything I've written, it's almost always about a, a young person finding the people that they can truly trust and rely on mm -hmm. and, and building a family. And so I think I've gotten better at telling stories that um, have that at its heart. But I think I keep telling some version of that story. <laughs> right. Which is um, fair. <laughs> I think we, everybody does that. How yeah. tempted are you to go back under the hood of those old pilots? Oh, interesting. Uh -huh. You know, like as you get better and as you realize that, oh, I have new tools I didn't have before. I, I've internalized a process right. in ways that I never had before. Look back at some of that old stuff. Like, you know what? If I just gave this like six weeks of love, like I could kind of bring this up a bit. And like, how much are you ever tempted for to, to deploy the gift of hindsight? That's a good question. There's one film and one pilot that I feel, and ma mainly the pilot, I think, because I'm just sort of like, I think I wrote this at a time that <coughs> nobody would look at anything I'd written, mm -hmm. so it didn't mm -hmm. really matter. And if they were, it was just to see whether or not they could staff me. And mm -hmm. it was a weird sample because it's historical. <laughs> it's like a historical creative fiction with some supernatural elements. So Love it. Uh, about the Lindbergh baby kidnapping, everyone Dang. was like, who's Lindbergh? And I'm like, oh, oh no. What? Oh, <laughs> what? sounds amazing. I know. What? <laughs> And so partially that one, I sort of just feel like, oh, man, like, I think that could happen. Yeah. And the other one is I think I wrote it and it was a huge idea. And I just don't think I had the skills yet to, like, make it a, sure. a story. Like, I think it's still an idea. Right. Like, I don't think it's yeah. a story. But that yeah. temptation is always there to, like, to decide between, like, the, the forge a new path. Right. Like, you know, yeah. let's walk in a new river and see what that's like versus – I love that thing. Mm -hmm. I remember spending a bunch of time on that thing. I have could, you ever done it? Have you gone back? Uh, there's like two or three things that I'm like, you know what? Like maybe, maybe it's not right for a pilot. Maybe it's a comic book. Maybe it's a feature. I was at mm -hmm. it wrong. But there's right. there's the like, does the me can the me today could does past was past me relying on future me being able to solve problems mm. that he didn't right. he didn't have the tools <laughs> for. Yeah. And like I kind of think that I do. I'm yeah. sure that my reps yeah. will be like, "Don't waste your freaking time, no. buddy." Well, but even still. because okay. they've seen it so well, much, and like that's a whole that, other like, conversation. Common wisdom that, like, yeah. well, it's already been out there, and you're like, "But that was like five years ago. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. Those people aren't reading me anymore." Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, so I had an experience where I haven't really done it with pilots. I, I feel like I have a mindset where I'm like, "Yeah, that's done." Like, I just don't uh -huh. want to deal with it anymore. But I had, I had my features that I had coming out of grad school. And um, and then I had written another one, and it was sort of the only one. I had turned two of the others into pilots, and it was sort of the only one I was like, this is a movie. Like, it's a little, like, HBO original movie. It's not a blockbuster, <laughs> but, like, it's a thing. So while I was working on Allegiance, um, I, I was like, you know what? I have spare time. I'm just going to – I'm going to pull this out and finesse it. And so I did a, ended up doing a full rewrite on it over the season. And, and I kid you not, in late February when we were, like, getting close to wrapping up our room – George Nolfi, my showrunner, is like, hey, do you have any feature samples? Oh, wow. And I was like, huh? I have one because I just finished <laughs> revising it. 
I sent it to him. It's a period piece. It's a it's a dark comedy with a predominantly black cast, and it's a period piece. So really fun to sell. Mm. But <laughs> um, and so I sent it to him, and it turned out he was looking for someone to co-write a period piece with a predominantly black cast. Crazy. What? And he hired me to co-write a feature with him that is actually shooting now that I'm going to set for next. What? Week. Oh my God. That's so crazy. like crazy, right? And I mean like. Just that little niggling, like, I can make this better. And it turned into this huge thing. So, like, it's the only time I've really been tempted, and I'm so so glad I gave it. The answer is yes, we should do that. Yes, (laughs) everyone do that, clearly. Well, it does seem like, you know, a writer has to write. And I think this is a thing that a lot of writers forget, especially new Uh writers. It's Mm -hmm. like, you got to do the work and that you had downtime. You didn't say great, I can finally catch up on this show I've been missing. You said, I think I want to work on this thing. And right. you you felt it, like something moved in you that you had to do this. Yeah, yeah like I, I, would, I would make a promise to myself, even when I had a full-time job, which I did since I was, you know, 21 years old. Yeah. You know, as we called, you go to work. I promised myself a new spec a year. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was always like fall because the idea was if I can write this in three months between September and December and polish it and get some reads back and be, have it ready for like January, February for like agents and generals and all that stuff. But like that was a compact I made with myself. And, mm-hmm. and the problem that I ran into was it was slower still than your average like dude coming out of grad school right. who's 23 years old who has yeah. nothing better to do but write specs who could write two and three a year. Right. But it was still like you have to do it. If you don't do it, you're not going to get better. You're not going to get the work. And there's no way to compete unless you – because writers write. Yeah, Yeah, that's absolutely true. I want to ask before we start to wrap up, um, when you are getting ready to open a new document uh, or look at an old one for that matter and and tackle maybe what you want to change in that, what gets you excited to write? Like what's the the initial thing that you're chasing – Anyone who wants to jump hmm. in. I do, you know, it probably, for me, I think it depends on the project. Mm-hmm. Like, like I wrote a pilot like two years ago that I was just, I was really fascinated by the idea. And so I just wanted to see what I could do with it. So like. How, how much of an idea did you have? Um, I mean, I knew the whole, like I knew the log line okay. of the pilot, you know, so it was sort of like, how do I make this a real thing? And, um, and it was, it was such an interesting thing to me to like unfold the story whereas i'm working on a pitch right now that's so deeply personal to me that it's sort of like it's a challenge to myself of like you gotta you gotta be real like you cannot hide from this Mm. on the page and so it's it's exciting it's also terrifying because it is very personal i think that's where you know Mm. you're getting the good stuff too if it's if it's scary to get down yeah Yeah. it's always like it's the, the it's that spark of a thing that you don't quite have the words for yet, mm-hmm. but like just open the document, just start writing like kind of as much as makes sense. And like, I, I I'll find what the story is later. I'll, I'll work my way left or right. And should it be supernatural? It probably should, but it shouldn't be supernatural. Cause then it gets weird, but maybe <laughs> but in season be. two, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but then it just becomes the, like, just, just the dump. Like here's, yeah. here's everything that I think it could be. Here's the links that, from the research I found. And then that document will just live for a while and it'll get sort of, it'll accrete hmm. ideas over time. But it's, you know, and I'm still not at the like, oh, I know what the script is, but like, I kind of have a sense for like 
kind of what the story is and starting to build out characters and starting to but for me world kind of comes first or incident mm-hmm. kind of comes first and then who is in that world and what is that story in that world yeah um, i'm like i'm an outside in person as opposed to an inside out yeah, person yeah that makes a lot of sense um and do you i mean i would imagine in tackling this based on what we've just talked about is mm-hmm. like the personal stuff is stuff you will get to right, right. it's bi- it's baked in but you also have to start I would imagine in some, whether it's outlining or scripting, going like, what do I want to say with this phase? Or what am I saying about myself with this? Or what am I, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I also think to a certain degree, like if you are honest with who you are, then that stuff will be there anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if, yeah. if you've come to grips with the person that you are and how you live in the world and how you find your way, then it can't help but be in there yeah. to a certain degree. Like most of Guillermo del Toro's stories are kind of about Guillermo del Toro because he knows who he is and he knows, you know, and so it can be about a fawn and a princess and it can be about giant robots and it can be about (laughs) a crazy luxurious house that's also haunted, but it's all kind of about like not fitting in. It's all kind of about feeling you're special, but waiting for the world to recognize that it's all kind of about, you know, to a certain degree, a barrier of language and, and of, of, of ethnicity in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's all there, you know, and it, it yeah. almost doesn't matter. He's not trying anymore. It's, it's going to show up. He knows what his stuff's going to be. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you trust yeah. the process and yeah. like the process will tell you who I am. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good point. Um, Morgan, what, what gets you excited about either the process or the material? Well, I was thinking about this. Like, I mean, I've never been a person who ever had that notion of like, you've only got so many ideas. And also, I don't think you're going to, you know, if you think that, then you're not going to work for all that long because at some point you're going to hit that wall. So I just don't (laughs) think it's a mentality even worth thinking that I've only got so many ideas in me. But I've definitely come up with a few games to try and kickstart. I sometimes go on an idea safari. I'll take myself to a part of LA I've never been to and just like walk around for the day or go to two or three museums and just write down everything that comes to me. I sometimes do a like, and I'll do this like once or twice a year, either something like that, or I have a a couple friends and we'll just be like, okay, every day this week, send me three log lines. And you just have to spit out. And then by the end of that week, you have 15. And probably mm-hmm. one or two is going to hold yeah. any water. Mm-hmm. But I have a document in Google Docs that I've just kept for the last five years of every idea that I've ever had. Mm-hmm. So that if I'm at that moment where someone's like, I need a new script, I can go back. And maybe none of those ideas, but one of them will make me think of something. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but, you know, like Nicole right now, the thing I'm writing, I think – is something that started as one of those ideas but became much more personal. And then it got way scarier. (laughs) And now, and I noticed it because there was this moment like, why is this so hard for me to write this? And then I had that like therapy moment of being like, these are feelings, they're not the truth. (laughs) And the reason I'm having this is because this is really like very personal and I'm afraid that I'm going to not do it justice. Yeah. And like that means hopefully it's going to be something strong when it's done, but probably it'll be harder for me to to crank out than like the time travel adventures of right. um and so, you know, I I'm excited to see where it goes. But I I just think that um I don't know, getting a, opening that document and putting those first few lines down because then next time I can like copy and paste that into something else. And then like I always take my outline and copy and paste it into into mm-hmm. final draft because then mm-hmm. there's something on the page and then I'm just like filling out. And yeah. so I'm never having to like feel like I'm reinventing or yeah. mm-hmm. looking at nothing. 
Yep. Um, you know, it's funny. My favorite pilot that I've written, I got off one of those exercises mm-hmm. where it was like, just make a list of like every idea you have. And I was sitting in jury duty in like that big perfect. room. And like, what the hell am I going to write? And I still don't know what it was I looked at that made me go, oh, I mean, maybe I could do like a modern day Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare. Maybe I could do one. And I was like, Richard III, I'll do that. And so I wrote a modern day yeah. Richard III. And like, While so I'm, you're in I'm duty. a giant Shakespeare nerd, right? And so like doing this whole thing. And then, but because I'm trying to make like a big family soap out of it, it all the sibling stuff got in it. And I was like, oh, okay. I have to talk about like sibling issues. All right. And it like got super yeah. personal, even though it started as like this yeah. random thing that was then, oh, I'll do modern day Shakespeare. That's like big and awesome and hooky. But then it t- still turns into a very personal project. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. It like, right. ultimately, there's always some part of you in there. Yeah. And, and that's, I really that's like what you had right? to say about that mm-hmm. because I do think you just have to have that faith because if you're so afraid, am I going to be able to say anything? Like, that's like if every time you went on a date, you're like, maybe I'll forget every word I know. <laughs> like, that's that is yeah. how I am every time I go on a date. <laughs> what are words anyway? Right. <laughs> but I, I had a friend who was much more religious than I, and I always liked this thing he said. He's like, I'm just this vessel waiting for stories to come through me, and it's a little more heady than I can sort. Of, but I sort of loved that idea that like you just have to be part of our job is to stay ready and looking for ideas and for stories mm-hmm. because it might come during Dury Judy or it might come from reading an article mm-hmm. or it might come from just, you know, a walk in a part of town you've mm-hmm. never been to. And But I think that's like maybe it's very artsy fartsy, but it is kind of our job as artists mm-hmm. is to like be collectors of those ideas and then try to translate what we – thought about it absolutely yeah, we're story diviners right yeah. <laughs> you just walk the world with your stick that's with your, right. stick, with your yes. pencil and you find water and then that's the thing what i like is that you know two different writers might go for the same story but you're go- each going to have a unique take on it uh-huh. um right. you know there's something so exciting that happens when it feels like automatic writing mm-hmm. yeah. right and it's rare but i think that's maybe something we're kind of all chasing it's the only reason you do it right yeah. like it's it's that like fourth act like <laughs> like the, the the story wind is in your hair and like you, you see where the ending is and you feel like it's inexorable and you're getting there yeah. nobody writes for the second act <laughs> you know? nobody's like set this story yeah, up. it's like oh boy this is so much fun complications no yeah. it's just it's all like when it's working and when the gears are meshing and when the story has its own momentum and then mm-hmm. you're like, this is great. I'm barely holding on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's when it's fun. Like yeah. everything else is work. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it really is. And I think, you know, just to belabor this a little bit, uh, <laughs> we all find joy in different parts of the process too. I mean, I love breaking story, mm-hmm. like being in the room, whether it's with my writing partner or with a writer's room. Absolutely. And like yeah. when you're all, when you can feel the room shifting on a story, mm-hmm. getting behind something and realizing that that's working and it's opening up possibilities is the best feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, I, I call it the Benton punch moment <laughs> from ER, like in the opening credits when, oh. when Dr. Benton would like you do, do that, that yeah. punch. My wife calls it <laughs> Bentoning. Bentoning. <laughs> it's like, that's when the, like, Hey guys, what's happening? I don't know. I think we're all betting punching right now. Right? It's, it's all working. It's all it's got momentum. It's all like we're all clicking yeah. together. We're like we're yeah. like herding animals. <laughs> like totally. they're all running in one direction. Yeah. And it only Jurassic ever Park. really happens like twice a day mm-hmm. if you're lucky. And that's a yeah. lot. Like, and that's, that's cool. a lot. Like every other time we're like can we just chase this dragon just once and if you get it for <laughs> right? half an hour? Like yeah. It's also totally. great too when you have like 
you're like, I, this isn't it, but it's like, I was thinking this and that teams up with what someone else has. Yes. And suddenly it's like magic. Right. And you're like, thank God I said that thing out loud. Yeah. Right. And I couldn't put it together on yeah. my own, but that's why we yeah. have both of exactly. us here. Yeah, it's yeah. like, that's, it's so much fun. I love, like the room process is so fun. Yeah. I love all right. It. We have so much more to talk about. We all come back in six months and we can do this again. Shoot. Round two. Uh, for now, I want to hear about what you are watching on television. What's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your room, your friends, your loved ones? Morgan. Not just because you're here, mm -hmm. but Castle Rock, I just <laughs> finished. As a, as a mom, it takes me like a good six months. I like right. being six months behind. <laughs> I think it's really cool it's way freeing. to be. Yeah. Um, but we talked about it all the time also in the room. So it's awesome. definitely a room show. I think it was actually the first. Everyone was like, is everyone watching? Um, and I'm also finishing Magician season three. <laughs> which, uh, is, I mean, I suppose relevant to what I do, but also I just love the characters that they've created on that show. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm having like a weird transition moment right now. So I just lost two of my favorite shows, oh, no. which were I'm The sorry Americans. For your loss. Yeah. Thank you. Uh -huh. The Americans and Twelve Monkeys, which mm -hmm. both ended and I loved so much. I thought I was going to lose two more, but Elementary and Agents of Shield both got last minute reprieves. So <laughs> thank you, universe. So I have those. Um, I fell head over heels in love with Castle Rock. I like, I got my room to watch it. Cause <laughs> well I, done. I came in and I was like, no, you got and they were like wait, wait, isn't that show creepy and scary? You don't like creepy and scary things. I'm like, no, no, but it's so good. You have to watch I'm trying, I'm, I'm like still in from The Good Doctor last year. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I would watch Freddie Highmore and Richard Schiff read the phone book together. They're amazing. <laughs> um, I, and I, so far the new show that like kind of has me is New Amsterdam, mm. oh, yeah. which I was like, I mean, you know, we'll see. I don't know. It seems a little too earnest, but like when they hit the moment, man, they hit mm. it. And I'm like, okay, David Schulner, I have faith in you. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> That's great. Good answers. Mark, what are you watching? Uh, I see Bob's Burgers, mm -hmm. which always phenomenal forever. Um, Good Place is the best. Jesus. I don't understand how that show remains <laughs> as like wildly inventive and different and funny and layered as it is. It's frustrating. Um, I finished my sixth rewatch of the West Wing. Oh, wow. <laughs> because sometimes you just need a hug. <laughs> uh -huh. and, and there's no better hug than like Martin Sheen telling you how the world oh. could be. Yeah. yeah. Only well, if. You, let's, let's sidebar on the West Wing for a moment. Um, <laughs> Hold on. To start to wrap up, but uh, when you were rewatching The West Wing, mm. do you watch all the way through? You watch those post Sorkin I've, seasons. I've, I've done it a couple of different ways. I've done it soup to nuts, beginning mm. to end. I've done it like seasons one through four, and then not watch the rest. I've even started when like Matt Santos first comes mm -hmm. on the scene, so like middle of six, and then back around the horn. <laughs> um, yeah, because when you do a thing like six times, like right. you got to figure out a way yeah. to Shake it up. spice it up. Maybe all the Christmas episodes one day. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, That's fair. So yeah, finish that. Right. And uh, and I'm currently in love with Chef's Table Yeah. On, on Netflix, which I didn't. I mean, I love food and I love food shows and I love cooking shows. But this is, I've never quite seen a show as incisive about the creative process yes. as Chef's Table is. And how it shows what uncompromising artists look like and how to get inside their heads. Because these are all people operating at the, like, the height of their game, you know, and the stories that it took them to get there. There's this one about this woman from Mexico who's an undocumented immigrant mm -hmm. who came across the border, like, got a coyote, smuggled herself across the border, and is now, like, the third greatest chef in America yeah. wow. in Philly making barbacoa tacos. 
and like but just that story and like and her her sort of immigrant narrative and how it infuses her food and what makes her food special and the ways to which the lengths to which she is willing to go to ensure that this food is as it was when she was a girl mm-hmm. and is as good as it possible can can possibly be as far as smuggling corn from the small village that she came from oh across the border and like negotiating with local farmers. So now she's got a field of this corn that grows no place else in the world but that village in Mexico and Philly. <laughs> and so she can make the greatest, you know, the yeah. greatest tortillas yeah. ever out of this corn that you can't get anywhere else. Wow. But just that idea of, of people who are inspired and who channel that inspiration into something that everybody gets to take yeah. joy out of hmm. and, and their particular battles to get to the place that they are. Like it's just, it's fascinating in a way mm-hmm. that I've never quite seen in a, in, in documentary yeah. form. And inspiring too. And totally inspiring. I mean, there's there, it's, it's almost a one-to-one yeah. uh, analogy. Yeah. And, and also like I'm hungry after every episode <laughs> because of this food. So yeah. like it Absolutely. manages to yes. like tack everything that I love into tell. Into and it's shot beautifully. Like that series yeah. is really it's worth cinematography on that. Yeah. Show yeah. Is it's like Jiro dreams of sushi, the TV show. Right. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. By the way, for yes. anyone who needs joy in their lives, Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Schitt's Creek are <laughs> literally two of the most joy-filled, <laughs> lovely shows. And like That's sometimes true. I just need to watch them to remember that the world is can be a decent place. <laughs> so just throwing I, that out there. I don't understand how Andre Brower does not have every award oh they my give. God. Because he is doing like next level deadpan. Next on level, that show. it's amazing. And can I? T- I got to meet him after he won his Emmy Shut for Homicide, up. and it was li- and it was so great because he's so incredibly polite and wonderful that he you could see the whole process of him being like, should I know who this person is? <laughs> I was just like Mr. Brower. I just wanted to say congratulations. You know, I love you on the show. You so deserve it. And you could really tell he was trying to do the math, and then he was like. Thank you so much. That's so lovely of you. And I'm just like, Audrey Brower, talk to me. Right. <laughs> so sweet. Listen, if you take nothing else from this podcast, Andre Brower is the sweet man. Yes. <laughs> Thank you all so much for being here. Thank I you, appreciate you talking Thank you. To me. This Yay. is great. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Dog. Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.